Well, guys, grab a Bible, and if you would, would you make your way to the book of Nehemiah? I invite you to make your way to Nehemiah chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, they're around you, and you can grab one there uh, from the seat. You can use an electronic device. However that works, we're just going to invite you to make your way over here as we want to look at this passage this morning. If you're joining us online or in the overflow, it's the same invitation uh, to have a copy of the Scriptures. As you're making your way there, again, if you're unfamiliar with where that is, you have a table of contents in your Bible, go and look at that. You'll get there really rapidly. Um, But maybe to quickly answer the question, why? Why am I having you turn uh, to the book of Nehemiah today? Aren't we working through 2 Corinthians on Sunday morning? Yes, that's what we're doing. Verse by verse, uh, we're making our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, But this morning, we're going to do a special study, and it's kind of practical. Uh, Maybe I've shared this before, but uh, you know, this week we got a chance to take about 18 of us uh, from our, our staff and servants. We got to go to be at a conference uh, at, at the latter part of this week and gather together with 25 churches throughout the state. Just a good time of fellowshipping together, a good time of being together. And so uh, you know, that's where we were. You know, we were a part of that in the midst of it. Uh, I was teaching one of the workshops, uh, which is this. And so if I can just kind of just be very practical about this, um, I was there. So I wasn't here studying, and so there was no way in the world that we could tackle the next portion of Scripture. Like, that doesn't work for me. It takes a long time uh, to, to kind of, you know, get to what, what takes place on a Sunday morning, and maybe you're aware of that, maybe not, uh, but there was just no way. It's like, I'm, you know, we didn't get back to like, I don't know, four or five o'clock last, yesterday uh, in the evening, it was like, you know, and, and lots of stuff. So I thought, well, what I thought I would do is just share with you Uh, what I shared in the conference and a workshop that I did there, and yet I do so not just um, because I I wasn't able to, but I also just have a sense that I so long to communicate this here. I recognize that one of my joys as being a pastor is to do what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, that I get to come uh, alongside you and edify you, and some of you are with us, we talked about that uh, last week in 2 Corinthians but also equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what it says in Ephesians 4 that I get to do. And so that's what we want to do this morning. I want to do that and and help you in in the midst of this as we gaze uh, into this section with a desire to look at this. We're going to talk about calling. Now, one other quick thing, and then we're going to take a moment and pray for that. We're going to gaze into Nehemiah 1 and 2, but we're not really teaching Nehemiah 1 and 2 in the sense that we're not going to go over all the history uh, we're not going to go over all the story that is in the midst of it, which is really hard for me because I really love it. It's a great story. It's a great story of what God did, and, and had we time, we'd give all of that. Instead, we, we don't want to kind of dive into that. We want to just watch how God takes a man, how God takes a man from where he is and brings his life to what God has for him, how God takes Nehemiah from the world that he's living in and directs his life over to the city of Jerusalem to build the walls, to do something that has not happened in generations. In in, in over a hundred years, in in the midst of this, he's going to do something that nobody else has done and see incredible change in the midst of that. But we want to watch, how does he get there? How did God get him from where he was to what God had for him, to his purpose, if you will, in life? And we want to think that through as we think about you and I, how do we get there? And so that's going to be our our thought process. That's going to be where we're going to go. Let's ask God for help in that. Father, thank you this morning for the ability to gather and seek your face. God, I thank you for your word. That is powerful. That is good. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would 
take even this special study and that you would speak it in a very fresh and powerful way in this space. God, you see us and you know where this is present and you know where this is what's needed. You know how you want to speak that into our lives. And Lord, I'm asking that you would take your truth and just meet your people in a way that would do what you said uh, I get a chance to be a part of, to come alongside your people, your saints, and equip them for the work of ministry. Um, I really want to do that. I really would like that to be a part of what happens right now. And so, God, would you go beyond me and, and communicate what you're saying so that we get, understand, but more, hear what you have for us. We ask for that right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Calling. To know your calling. You are. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, there is a call of God upon your life, a purpose and a reason for your existence that is not just for your own pleasure. Not that just you just got to figure out, but God has a reason for your life. And maybe that's something that you're fully aware of. Maybe as we talk about some of this this morning, it's only going to just come alongside and remind you what you already know. Maybe you're here this morning and you know your calling. Maybe, like the Apostle Paul, you could introduce yourself that way, as he does in almost all of his letters, where he would say, I am Paul, called to be an apostle by the will of God that I know what I am. I know what he has for me. Maybe you're there. And if that's you this morning, I want to tell you, I still think there's going to be help here because the calling is both when we begin to walk in and constantly need just kind of re just, just drawing in that. And I think there's going to be help there. But I'm also thinking and believing that I am probably talking to some of you that I would ask you and say, okay, what, what are you called to do? What does God have for you? And you might just go, I don't know. <laughs> like, I have no idea, you know, what that is. And I don't want to make that just something that is insulting or in any way uh, accusing, but I just want to tell you, you are called. You're a follower of Jesus, and you should know what that is. So how do we do that? How do we find what this calling is? Well, I want to give you 10 things, uh, 10 things this morning that are not, you know, all-inclusive. I mean, there's probably more that you could add to it. There's certainly others that have written uh, great, uh, you know, papers and books on this. And so, hey, this is just a, a beginning journey with us. But I want to give you 10 things uh, that I think might help you figure out what that is in your life. Maybe not all of them will work in your life, but for many of you, most of them will. And will be a part of both discovering and being able to walk in what that is. Well, the first two um, are not found here in Nehemiah, but they're going to help us get there, but they help us understand a little bit of what we're talking about. And so as we think about what it is to find the calling that God has in our life, the first thing that is needed in your life is that you need to know Jesus. Yet you absolutely need to know Jesus. In fact, let's be really clear with this. When I use the word calling, we're talking about something that only exists for Christians. It does not exist for somebody that is not a follower of Jesus. Now, that's important because we live in a world where sometimes in the, in the working world or people in life, they will talk about discovering your purpose or discovering your calling as if that was something that was universal. Well, I'm not going to you know, just you know, come against everything that that is. I just want to tell you when the Bible speaks about calling. It's talking only to those who are followers 
of Jesus, because that only comes into play when we come to know Jesus. Uh, So one of the verses that we're going to use over and over this morning is a familiar verse for us. I hope it's a verse that many of you have committed to memory. If not, can I just make this a good encouragement? Like this is one of those verses you should memorize because I think it's really helpful into your own life. It's Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, we'll highlight different pieces of that, but I want you just to notice that first little nugget or that nugget in the midst of it. When we're talking about this, we're talking about something that happened when you were created in Christ Jesus, when you became a true follower of Jesus. This doesn't exist outside of that. This doesn't exist beyond that. It only happens for believers. And so it has to begin there. I want to just begin by inviting you. If you're here this morning and and you don't know Jesus, um, there's an invitation to discovering this, to to finding out why God would have you in this world. And you'll never be able to have that without Jesus. You'll never be able to have that without Jesus. And and it begins there, both his salvation. In fact, if we had time, we'd go into the verses before this that remind us that it is by grace we're saved through faith. It's not works. It's by knowing him. And we invite you to that. Now, I say that because, again, it has to begin there. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to begin there. But I also say this because there's a danger when we begin to talk about serving God and working for God that some will focus on that and not having a relationship with Jesus. We know this because Jesus says so. When he gives it to us in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, many will say to me in that day, and I hate that. (laughs) I mean, Jesus, I just hate that it's many. I just, he says, there's going to be a bunch of people that come up to me in the last day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out many demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, and you who practice lawlessness. Hey, scary reality. There's a group of people that think they're going to heaven because of the good things they do and the things that they're trying to do. Now, it's an interesting thing without getting beyond this too far. Jesus says, okay, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your names. That just raises a whole lot of questions for for Bible students. Like, wait, can you do that? Uh, Can somebody cast out demons without Jesus? And and how does that all work? I just want to say it this way. There's a lot of interesting, you know, weights in the midst of that. But I just want to say that Jesus sets the bar way up here so that even if you did that in Jesus' name, it's not enough to give you confidence you're going to heaven. Uh, You know, because here's what I know. For most of you here in this room and people that I talk to, it's not like, man, I've cast out demons. It's more like, I taught Sunday school. Like, I taught Sunday school, surely I'm going to heaven. You should know how hard that was. You know, like, I, I mean, I, 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 if anybody made there, it's like, no, you, you, we somehow trust what we've done. And I want to tell you, I, I don't want to feed that. I, I'm more concerned that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you would know him, that you would be able to say, he knows me. And, and, and there's not a sense that I'm trusting in what I'm doing. And so I don't want to feed that at all this morning. In fact, again, I want to say it has to begin here. It has to begin in a relationship with Jesus. You absolutely need to be saved because if you're not, you have no calling. You have nothing that this is. You can't get there. 
Well, that's important. It's a good beginning, but it's not just the beginning. It's honestly part and parcel of the whole. So for us who know Jesus, we need to be actively walking with Jesus in order to enjoy our calling. There's no way to have the calling of God in your life being active and working without a relationship with Jesus. Jesus would say it this way. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So again, just kind of borrowing the, the picture for a moment. You're a tree. You're a part of this. You're a part of the vine. And your life has purpose. An apple tree bears apples, you know. Uh, you know cherry tree bears, bears cherries. And there's fruit that is supposed to happen from your life. That's what we want to figure out. Like, what is that? What am I do? What am I supposed to do? But you can't have that without Jesus. So if that's not where you are right now, no wonder you don't know your calling. You're going to have to have a relationship with Jesus where you're walking with him, loving him, serving him, being in his word daily. I mean, if you have that, boy, some of this will happen in a very natural way. It needs to begin there. And so point number one, if you want to figure out your purpose in this life, it's found in Jesus. It's found in knowing him. You absolutely need that. Well, leaving that, number two of our ten there is a sense of coming at this by faith. So faith, it's a key of all of our life. It's how we're saved. It's how we walk. We think about things like Hebrews 11, that hall of faith where it highlights the great things that God did through people's lives by faith. Certainly, it's a part of what we get to do. And so faith is important because faith is a belief in God, but it's ultimately rooted in the promises of God. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Romans gives it to us this way. So faith comes about by hearing and the hearing by the Word of God. That we take God's Word and say, God, you're right. Even if I don't know if I, how that works out or, or what that looks like, I believe what it is you say. So as we're thinking about calling, I want to tell you the Bible's really clear. The Bible says you have a calling. The Bible says you have a purpose, that God has created you in Christ Jesus for good works, and He has given you what the Bible calls a spiritual gift. Putting it back up on the screen for a moment, so we have this passage in Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, just note it, for good works. You're made for it. Uh, in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, as you got saved, you are made for it. There's not anybody here that was not. There's not anybody that, that is here that that's not supposed to be what's happening in your life. You're made for it. As a part of that making, he has given you a spiritual gift. Uh, we think about what it tells us in First uh, Peter chapter 4. It says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All right. Key verse. Uh, in fact, it's one of the several verses that talk about it. Let's just kind of walk away through it for a second. As each one of you. It's intensive in the Greek language. Uh, the idea is each and every one of you. If you're, again, we're not talking about you if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus, not true for you, you need to get saved first. But if you are saved, each and every one of you has received, not might receive, not will receive, not could receive, you have. The moment you got saved, the moment you got saved, 
God has given you a gift, a, a spiritual gift. What is a spiritual gift? Well, you know what? That's a bigger study, and we don't have time to do- dive into it in its entirety. Uh, we have, you can have Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 if you want to read it. Uh, here in 1 Peter, he's going to go on and say it's either a speaking gift or a serving gift. Uh, you're, either, you're either given something to say or you're given something to do. Uh, there's a lot of you know, stuff that we could talk about it, but let's just make sure we understand this. Whatever that is, it's a display of God. It's a display of His grace. So when we talk about a spiritual gift, I'm not talking about your personality. I'm not talking about your talents. I'm not talking about what you learned in, in college or high school. Don't get me wrong. Those are things that God will play into what he does in your life. And many times those will dovetail into what your spiritual gift is. But your personality, um, your experiences, your talents are not your gift. A gift is something that God himself seeks to display who he is through you to the world. And maybe you know what that is. Again, maybe you're like, I know what that is. Or maybe you're like, I, I, don't, I don't even know. And here's... Maybe the main thing I want to say at this moment. I just want to tell you it's true. You have a gift. Yeah, you have a gift. And if you're here this morning and you don't know what that gift is, it would be helpful if you would just admit with me, God is right. God is right. You have one. Whether you know it or not, maybe you're using it without even knowing. I mean, there's a life to this, like you're abiding in Christ and you're being fruitful and you've never even like figured it out, but it's there but it's impossible for you not to have a gift. Unbelief is one of the biggest things that rob us. And I'm talking to somebody here this morning that honestly, you're not sure you really believe it. I mean, you're listening to me. But honestly, you're like, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think I'm kind of an extra on the set. You know, you gotta have those people that just, you know, they're just in the peripheral. You know, yeah, I I don't think I actually, I don't know if I really have that. You know, I don't know, I don't know if, I, if that's really true of me. And I just want to tell you, that's a lie. It's a satanic lie. And Satan's lies work. They work because they get us not to believe it. It would do good if you do not know what your gift is, if you would begin with me and just say, God, I know I have one because you said so. It's impossible for you to lie. Every, you said every believer has a gift. And so I don't know what it is. But it's not that I disagree with you. It's not that I think that somehow, you know, when spiritual gifts were being passed out, I didn't show up that day or something, you know. I I, I didn't miss it. Um, it, I have it. I just don't know what it is. That would be a really helpful place. It's It's a good beginning. And if that's where you need to get this morning, then I'm inviting you to get there where you would just say, okay, God, I have it. I don't know what it is. I want to figure out what it is. Well, if that's where you are, well, that's really going to help us go to the, 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 the rest of what we want to say this morning, because how would we figure that out? How would we figure out what that is? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't say, sometimes God will make that known supernaturally. I mean, this is what you just read. I mean, we think about getting to read in the book of Exodus, right? And, and we get Moses there at the burning bush, and God's like, I have a plan for your life. You're going to be this. I mean, let's just be clear. God can do that. In history, he does it. Sometimes he'll give dreams or visions, and, and he can have burning bush experiences. But even when that's there, many times still everything we're talking about come alongside to just make that more clear. 
But in the 29 years I've been a pastor, let me also say this. I have found that to be the rare thing. Uh, again, God can do it. You can't put God in a box. He can, he can do it however he wants to do it. And if he wants to do it supernaturally with you, uh, that'd be great. You should ask him. Like, God, you know, you want to you you speak to me in a burning bush? I'm in. You know, I mean, whatever that is, I, I, I'm there. But for most people that I've walked with over the last, uh, you know, 29 years, it's not been this incredible, you know, defining burning bush experience. There's been other things that have made that clear. And again, I think it's true for all of them. It's those that we want to talk about here in Nehemiah chapter 1. So you got your Bibles there. Notice with me. We want to just begin there in verse 1 and talk about providence. Notice with me in verse 1. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass. I like those words, and that kind of plays into what we're thinking about. In the months of Chislev, in the 20th year, that I was in Shushan, the citadel. Pause there. Had we time, we'd talk about everything that was happening and, and what was happening in Israel. Um, they had gone into captivity. They're out of captivity. Uh, they're back in the land. Uh, worship has been restored. But things are still not good. Uh, the, as we're going to go on, we're going to see the, the walls of, of Jerusalem are down. That's going to be fascinating, but it raises some questions about Nehemiah. And the questions we'd have to ask is, why is Nehemiah here? Why is he in Shushan the citadel? Why is he there and not in the city of Jerusalem? God had already called for the Jews to return to, to Jerusalem. Somehow it didn't happen for him. If we kind of put in the math, it probably wasn't his choice. It's probably his parents. Somewhere they, they made the decision not to go back, not to go back to Jerusalem. They stayed there uh, in, in, in the, the land of Babylon and, and stayed there as it would be in the midst of it. Um, somehow, not only did Nehemiah stay, he is now in politics in his day. I mean, he's a cupbearer, but make no mistake, he is in, 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 in politics in that space. He has been one of the most powerful courts in the world in a place that would have authority and encouragement in that how Nehemiah got there we actually don't know. But I'll tell you, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident that they got there. It is providence. Providence has been defined as God working supernaturally in a natural way. I mean, he's doing supernatural things. You just don't see it. And he gets our life where we need to be. We go back to that verse there in Ephesians, and I want you just to think it through this way and thinking about what it is that God has prepared that before you, that he's the one that would make that happen. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beforehand, it's kind of an interesting word. It's certainly a, a time word, like before you ever got there, he made them. That would be true. But it also has the idea that he's going to put the opportunities right in front of us. Like through providence, through, through his way, he's going to bring your life so that what he has for you, it's, it's going to show up right in front of your face. It's going to show up right there so that the choice will be, okay, you're going to step into uh, what he's prepared for you. That he's going to do that in a great way. We think about someone like Esther, who would have a very similar uh, kind of experience, and she ends up in the court of the king there in Persia, and uh, wrestling over her space, and Mordecai comes and says to her, sends her a message, and says, yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Like, where you are, it's not an accident. 
How you got here, it's not an accident. Like, what if God has positioned all of this to get you where he wants you to be so that you just get to step into that? I just want to tell you, that's a fascinating reality, and we find it all over Scripture. We see Esther. uh, We see Joseph. We see Daniel. God positioning their lives, getting them where he wants them to be. And I just want to take that and speak to you. You weren't born at the wrong time. You weren't born in the wrong nation. Um, You are put here for purpose and this purpose. Like you were made for this day and this day was made for you. And there's a space of you being able to say, God, I want to find out what that is. I want to know what you have for me. And he is so faithful that he is providentially going to kind of position your life so that what he is going to have to you will somehow one way or another be presented to you so that you could go, oh, there it is. Like, that's something that I should try, you know, there's, there's, you know, things they'll do there. He will work in your life to do that. And once more, this is not something you need to do. I'm just asking you to believe it. I'm just asking you to believe that God is bigger than you've ever imagined, and he is at work in your life to get you where he wants you to be. Well, how do we recognize that? Well, that would bring me to the idea of passion. That, that I love that one of the things that God does in our life is that he draws us to what he has by the desires he puts within us. Notice with me, Nehemiah is there, verse 2. It says, Then Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left in the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So one of the things that happens for Nehemiah is his heart is grabbed by this. I mean, his heart is grabbed by the need that's put there. And one of the things that becomes really exciting about the gift and calling that God has for you is that desire. The way that God would work that in us is one of the ways that he will direct our lives. I think about it in one of my favorite verses that speak about this in Philippians. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. It's a bigger understanding, by the way. Some of you would know the whole verse. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Like, we're not just sitting on the couch, you know, kind of waiting for God to do this. No, we're, we're searching, we're growing. But then he says God's going to do something. And he's going to work on the inside of you so that you want it. He's going to work in you so you, so you would desire it, so you would, you would want that, you would will to do that. And he's going to give you the ability to do it. The New Living Translation renders that verse this way. God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. I find that exciting. I find this really, really exciting. In fact, I'll put it this way. I like the way it gives it to us in the Psalms where he says, you know, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is not a verse on how to pull one over on God. Like, if you love God, he'll give you the car you always wanted, you know? Like, I could, no, it's not what he's saying. Hey, if you, if you love God, he'll put good desires inside of you. He'll begin to change what you want. 
He'll begin to give you desires that would say, I want to give you a desire for what I want you to have. That's what he's looking for. And so I want to tell you there's a passion. And I, maybe we'd even articulate it this way. The passion that is found in your best moments with God. I'm not trying to talk about your flesh or your, 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 your desires there. But when you go and you're serving God and you're loving God, he'll begin working something inside of you where you care about things where you begin to have a heart for it. Now, this is exciting because one of the big fears that people have about God's will and even the calling that God would have for them is like, what if God makes me miserable? Like, what if he calls me to do something I hate? You know, what if he makes me a missionary to Africa or whatever that would be, and I'm so afraid of what that is. If he makes you a missionary to Africa, you're going to want it. You're going to, like, I think I want to do that. It's going to capture your heart. It's going to capture your soul. It's going to capture your mind in a new way. It'll become a burden uh, that you have there. And it's worth just knowing that. So if you don't know what your calling is this morning, it would be worth beginning to kind of say, ask God, show me what, what, what I'm moved by. Show me what it is. Maybe it would be in the church. You'd walk around and you'd see children's ministry or you'd see something and you, it's just like, man, I just, my heart hurts for that. I think about what's happening in this space. I think about what's happening in that generation and it grips you. The kind of gripping that stays. For Nehemiah, he heard this and, he's, and for days and days and days, he's just mourning and weeping and praying about it. It's the kind of thing that grips you. Maybe it wouldn't be in the church. Maybe you'd drive around town and, and, and you'd pass one of, the, you know, one of the retirement homes and you'd just think, man, I'm, just, I'm grieved for that. I wish somebody would go there and share Christ with them. Or maybe you'd you know, see something uh, in the schools or maybe you'd see something around town. There is a way that God would begin to move you by giving you a burden, a, a care, a concern for what that is. Boy, I could talk about this a lot, but I need to keep us going for time's sake. Let me quickly say what it's not that will maybe help say it a little bit better. Um, this is not guilt. It's not pressure from without. That's important. Because guilt is a powerful tool to get people to do things, but it's an ineffective tool. It's not an enduring tool. And, and sometimes people can be guilted into serving God and, and, and in a way that people kind of force that on them, and it is not sustainable. It's not a good space. In fact, I like the way it gives it to us in Romans chapter 12 where he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'll show you what I have for you, God says. But don't be conformed. Has the idea of being pressed from without by the pressures of our world, by what people want you to be, by what the church wants you to be. No, he says, I want to change you from the inside out. So that you'll begin, your mind will begin changing. You'll begin changing and you'll begin wanting and you begin having a burden for those things. It becomes something not from without, but from within. Now, add to that this, again, maybe just helpful for me, but it was very helpful for me in discovering what God had for my life. Um, be aware of secondhand passion. You understand what I mean by that, secondhand smoke. You, I mean, you kind of, kind of get the, the analogy. One of the dangers about passion is that sometimes you can be moved by other people's passion. Now, Again, for me, this was a big part of me figuring out who I am in Christ. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but I'll give it to you in brief. As I began trying to figure out what God was, had for me, and I had no idea. I literally had no idea that I was going to be a pastor. It was as far from anything I could possibly imagine. But one of the things he did is he allowed me to be around other people that had really strong passions. And the interesting thing is when I was with them, because their passion was so strong, sometimes I'd think, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do as well. I mean, I'd meet somebody and they'd be like, Jim, it's children's ministry. 
Boy, it's kids. I mean, most people that come to Christ, they come to Christ young. I mean, we need to be pouring our heart into the kids, and I'd be like, yeah, that's a great idea. Maybe that's what I'm called to. And then I would somehow be separated from them, and that passion would just dissipate. And it was a little bit troubling to me. Then I meet somebody else, and they're like, Jim, it's missions. It's missions. We got to go into the world. There are people that have never heard the name of Jesus, and I'd be like, "Yeah, it's missions. That's, that's what we got to do." And same story would happen. You know, they'd be gone, and I, I, in my head, I understood, but the passion cooled. I met somebody else, and it'd be like, "It's you know, high school, or it's college evangelism, or it's street by street evangelism, or it's prayer." And God allowed me to be around probably almost a dozen people that, at times, their passion was so strong, I began wondering if that's what God had for me. Um, and then when they weren't there, it wasn't there. Now, I say this very, very quickly, but that might sound helpful. It was terrible. It was horrible. It was a horrible place in my life. I mean, I did not understand what God was doing. Honestly, at that point in time, I was pretty sure that, you know, I began questioning whether I was even saved. Like, I don't even, I don't have a heart. You know, all these people have passion. I don't have passion. And, you know, I feel like the tin man, you know, I need a heart, you know, and like, what is this thing? I don't even understand what's happening until God just began showing me I had a passion for his word, and I had a passion for a healthy church, that there was something in that you could read Ephesians 4, and my heart would just skip a beat, and, and it's like, okay, wow, and I found something that was an enduring passion, but it came clear to me that there's a danger that sometimes people get moved by other people, um, and I'll just say it again this way. If you are trying to figure out who you are, and the passion that you feel, you only feel in somebody else's presence, that's a problem. If you need to read a book or turn into the YouTube channel to have their passion spark your passion all the time, and when you're not tuned in, it's not there, that's not God. That's secondhand passion, and you will never figure out who you are. What God is doing inside of you is sustainable, it's continuing, it stays in that space, and it's incredibly exciting. It is incredibly exciting. It still is incredibly exciting to me as I continue to want to walk in those things what God has for me. I will often just hold out to Him, God, you know, show me. Show me what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to be involved in by changing me from the inside out. And I love that process. And I just want to tell you, that's a good space. And again, maybe you're already doing it. Maybe you're already aware that you're kind of looking at it. Because if we take, you know, the two things we've talked about so far, we think about providence and passion. When he begins to stir up your heart and then puts opportunity that's like, okay, I'm concerned about this. And then boom, here's an opportunity for me to do what I'm concerned about. I wonder if that's God. Yes, like, like that's what he does, that he begins to give you a heart for it. Well, let me keep going for time's sake uh, and very quickly give you a few others. So passion's a key part of it, but not only is it passion, it is through people. So Nehemiah's there, and we get the whole story right. He gets there, Hananiah, one of his brethren, come, and they're sharing this story with him, and that really is part of what sparks what Nehemiah discovers. And I just want to say quickly that God often uses people to encourage us in what he has for us, that other people will often recognize it, that the other people will often come alongside to say, hey, I see something inside of you. In fact, it ought to be that way. Most people who begin to discover what God has for them, somebody speaks that to them. Most people who end up in almost any ministry in our church, I talk to all of the leaders who ever lead a ministry in our church, and I'll tell them, hey, announcements from the pulpit, they do almost nothing. Like, it's very rare that someone comes up after a service and goes, hey, Jim, you announced a need, and I knew it was me. Okay, it can happen. Very rarely. Most of the time, somebody hears that, and they go, I know who that is. I know who that is. And they begin to encourage them. 
They begin to do that. That's how it's supposed to work. In fact, I think about it in Hebrews where it tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Hey, great verse. Great verse for our day. We need this. We need the gathering together of God's people, the assembling together of God's people. He seems to articulate that in the last days, that's going to become more challenging. Um, And without spending much time on it, it is. It is. Uh, Being together as a church has been, you know, we think about everything from COVID, but from COVID to this space, there's a group of people all around the world that have chosen to stream church instead of actually be in church, And, and, and there's a great danger to that for a lot of reasons, but one of them is this. Why? Well, I started this in the middle of a sentence. We're not to forsake the assembling ourselves together. Let's go back to the first part of the sentence. The first part of the sentence says, let us consider one another, in order to stir up love and good works. One of the things that's supposed to happen by coming together is that you are being invited to be a spiritual talent scout. That he says, I want you to come and think about each other. I want you to think about those who are around you, not to criticize them, not to like, oh, I can't believe they came to church wearing that, you know, just, I mean, don't do that. I mean, that's what you did this morning. Don't do that. You know, you are to be able to come and say, how do I encourage somebody? I want to look at you and say, I see something inside of you. I see a gift. Have you ever thought about, I mean, I watch the way you do it, and there's just this thing that seems to flow out of you, and I look at you, and I think you belong, you know, doing door-to-by-door evangelism, or you're made uh, for working in the kids' ministry. I mean, I just look at something inside of you. Did you know you're supposed to do that? That that's supposed to be a part of what happens all the time. We need it. Sometimes we're the last ones to recognize what God is doing in our life. I know when I finally, you know, figured out what I was, you know, people have been telling me for a long time, and I kind of began to, okay, I think God's calling me to be a pastor, and, and, and literally, like, everybody I told, they're like, we've been telling you for like a year, Jim. I mean, I, you know, well, I know, but, but, but I didn't think it was me. I just didn't, I mean, but there was such power in that. I can remember literally uh, one uh, Sunday in specific that I was in a church, and uh, they had announced from the pulpit that there was going to be something, a teaching opportunity, and literally like three people bear, just got me that Sunday. I mean, like one person caught me in the hallway, and they said, Jim, you know, I just, I, I hear this, I think that's you, and it's like, uh, no, like, no, that's, this is not talking about me, but, but my name in that announcement, and I went around the corner, and somebody else, you know, Jim, I, just, we just, I was thinking about you, and I'm like, did you guys get together? Like, this, that's terrible, and I go out in the parking lot, and the third person gets me, and I literally was like, I think they planned it. I think they all planned to pick on me today, but the truth was they weren't. God used people to come and say, Jim, I see something. I see something in you, and, and, I, and I think you ought to step towards that. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that people did this in my life, and I know people need it in yours, that people would do that so people become a part of how God gets us there. God says it's supposed to be there. I hope you're doing that. hope you're doing that. So people become a part of it, but so does prayer. So Nehemiah hears all of this, and again, it tells us, as he hears this at the end of verse 4, he says he was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse 5, he says, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and your mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. And, And he goes on and offers this great prayer. We won't read all of it for right now because, again, it fits into the context of the story, but I think it would be just really helpful if I made sure I said this. God called you, that ultimately if there's a calling of God, he does it. 
And it would sound like it doesn't need to be said, but I know enough to know that it does need to be said. If you don't know what your calling is, talk to God about it. Ask him. Ask him. He wants you to know. And he'll make you, he'll, he'll, the way he brings that out in your life will be different, but it should become a regular part of your prayer life until you know. For me, as God began stirring that in my life, it would probably take two years. It would probably take two years of me wrestling and questioning and praying. It wasn't going to be something that I had figured out in a week. It would be something that took time. But I think you, you just need to talk to him. I mean, I, I just know some people, maybe it's not you here this morning, that you'll ask your friends. You'll, you'll take spiritual gift tests. You'll read books. And it's the funny thing. Have you asked God? Have you asked God? Like, God, I believe you. What do you want me to do? Would you, and just spend time praying to God about what he has made you to be. You absolutely should do that. Nehemiah did. Well, not only does he pray, and that's what's found in the rest of, uh, of chapter one, he begins to walk that out. Fast forward to chapter two for a moment and just read it with me. It says, it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took wine and gave it to the king, now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? And the city, in the place of my father's tombs, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. And the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed good thing to do. Again, he's talking to God about it, to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your, in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to build my father's, my father's tombs, uh, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah is, is praying about it. He's got a passion, and, and then as opportunities begin to come, he just begins to walk in this. He begins to walk forward in what that is, and maybe one of the helpful things, I want to just simply say it this way, is that this is one of the very helpful things in discovering what God has for your life, is I've asked people, and I've done so even in the last few weeks, and I spent time talking to some of our servants and stuff, and I just asked, how did you figure it out? How did you figure out what God had for you? One of the most common responses is that they just began doing. Uh, they just took steps forward into something, and, and then as they took steps forward, either to move forward or God turned them a different way and it articulated what has been well known and said by others smarter than me that just simply say, you know, you can't steer a parked car. You know what I mean? You just, I mean, just think it through. It's kind of an accumulator. You, you could sit there in the car and turn it. You're not going anywhere. But if you're moving, you can turn the wheel. And for most people who figured out who they are, it was this journey that started. They just, okay, you know, I'll just start here. I'll just start here. And, and, and either that opened up a door further or they, they started something and it's like, man, I don't feel any favor. There's not God. But then God would turn it and say, okay, I don't have you doing this. I have you doing this. I, I want to get you where I want you to go. And he does that through that. That walking in it is a key part of it. In fact, that's what we, we saw back there in that Ephesians 2.10 where he says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You should walk in them. You should walk in them. You should say, okay, I'm just going to put my foot out. I'm just going to take a step. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it and see what that is. And if I'm wrong, then God can redirect and continue helping me move forward. What's the risk? 
that you try something and find out it's not you? Maybe you think, well, maybe you're called to lead, to lead a Bible study. Well, start a Bible study. See if it happens. Maybe you think you're being called to be an evangelist. Go knock on a door. You know, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? You find out you're not really gifted at it? Or maybe you begin to find out, I think this is God. I mean, you just start taking steps. It might start stall. It might start, you know, bumping around a little bit. But God will do amazing things. Sometimes just walking would be helpful. And again, I'm going to say this as carefully as I can, but I mean it as intentionally as I can. There's not anybody in this room that God's design for you is to just sit and, and do nothing. God did not make Christianity to be a spectator sport. He did not, there's not anybody in this room like, no, this is his plan. I just come on Sunday morning and I sit. That's my whole plan. That's the whole thing. No, it's not it. You should walk. Maybe it's something here in this church. Maybe it's in the community. The body of Christ is bigger than us, but you should, you, you should be doing something. You should be walking. If you're not walking, if you're not stepping, there, there's a problem. And, and there ought to be something, whatever that is, whether you're stepping towards you know, encouraging people or praying, whatever he's made you for, step towards it. You'll begin to discover what that is. Well, that takes us to, to, to number nine. Again, just hitting it quickly. Fear. Don't be afraid. So Nehemiah tells us in the midst of this, he was dreadfully afraid, and that's helpful. But I want to quickly take this to another part of a story that when we think about it this way, that fear is probably one of the key things that's holding some people back from serving. Jesus tells an interesting parable. I thought about trying to just skim over it, but I just want to read the whole thing to you very, very quickly, but then highlight this aspect of it. So in this parable, in Matthew 25, Jesus says it this way. This is the kingdom of heaven. It's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and immediately went on a journey. Every one of his servants he gave gifts. Not everybody got the same number. Everybody was gifted. Every, some had five, some had two, some one. He who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he'd received two and gained two more also, But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. After a long time. And he settled accounts. That's where we are. Jesus is coming back, and we're going to stand before him at what's known as the Bema Seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account of what what we did with what he gave us, what we did with the life that we have. That's coming for every one of us. Well, the one who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you, get, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what we want to hear when we see Jesus. Well done. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Well, the five-talent person had that. The two-talent person comes and says, God, you gave me two talents. I've gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Without much explanation, exact same. Uh, The five-talent, the two-talent, they get the same reward. Uh, There's not a wording that's different there. It's not about how you compare to others. It's about what you are doing with what he's given you. We may talk about that more next week as we're back in Corinthians. 
Well, it goes on, and it says, Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Look here. You can have what's yours. He says, God, I looked at it, and, and, and you're, you're holy, you're big, and I was afraid. And so I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I just took what you gave me, and I buried it, but I didn't mess anything up. You know, I mean, there's got to be some, you know, like I, didn't, I didn't ruin anything. But Jesus said to that one, his Lord answered and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have, you would have received back my own with interest. That's not what I want you to hear. I don't want us to stand before Jesus and go, you were lazy. Like, you, like what in the world were you doing? I mean, I mean, at the minimal, you could have just invested in something that would have, you knew would have been a return. You, without even a really big risk, you could have just served in the church a little bit or something. I mean, you could have done something. That is not where I want for you, but it's worth noting that the man was afraid. And most people who struggle with serving, it's fear. But I just want to say it again. What are you afraid of? I mean, I think about it for Nehemiah or Esther. Both of them, it really was, maybe they were risking their life. Esther's like, you know, if, I, if this doesn't go well, like he kill me kind of thing, that's probably not what you're risking. Maybe it is. It's not that bad a deal either. Though. For most of us, you're just risking failing. You're risking being embarrassed. You're risking trying something and finding out it wasn't you or starting poorly. Are you really going to let fear keep you back? Are you really going to let fear hold you back from that? Don't. Don't let fear hold you back. May he rescue you from that. Well, one last one, and we'll touch it quickly. Um, God's hand. So Nehemiah tells this whole story, and again in verse 8 there, he's talking to the king, and he's asking uh, for all that would happen, the, the provisions that he would give. And just at the end of verse 8, it says, The king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then when he actually makes his way to Jerusalem, he's communicating to all those who are there, telling them what's going to be there. And in verse 18, it says, I told them of the good hand of my God, which had been upon me. The gift that God has for you is powered by him. It's a place where his power and strength is known, a place where his favor, his enabling, his smile. His smile, that's a good way to describe it. I want to invite you to it for this and this alone. Maybe you'll be effective. Maybe you'll be an evangelist and see a bunch of people come to Christ. Maybe you'll become a missionary and, and serve in the mission field and do great things, but maybe you'll, it'll never make the impact you want it to be, or it, it's not really the measure of it. The measure of it is really a sense where all of a sudden at that moment, there's a smile. And I wish I could say it better to you, but I'll quickly tell you a part of my story, and then I know I'm going to have to end. I struggled a lot about being a pastor. I did not think it was what I was. It was not natural for me. It wasn't a part of my background. Uh, two years of, of journeying towards it in many ways, uh, but I, I struggled. Uh, it, but I remember kind of talking and then uh, one of the, the church we were in at that point in time was a small Baptist church in Rio Rancho. 
uh, the pastor said, you know, basically said, you need to do it. You, you, ought, you ought to teach. And so he, he figured out a Sunday morning, and he was going to give me the pulpit. Terrible thing to do, by the way. Um, <laughs> but in the midst of it, but I'm there. I mean, so much has, has come up to this moment. I'm sitting in church that morning, and I wish I could just kind of unpack it for you, but I was terrified. I was terrified. And, and I literally, not joking, I mean, it's not like, I'm just, I literally was trying to figure out how to get out of there. I, I was counting. Like, I wonder if they pray. And if they pray, and all of a sudden, I run. Like, I could run, and I probably could make it out the back door, and nobody will know I'm here. I mean, it'd be better for me just to, and I literally was, you know, almost in sprinting position, in my heart at least, um, because I just didn't think it was me. But I got up, and I began to teach. It was probably a terrible Bible study. probably was. But I know this. All of a sudden, I knew it. There was a smile. There was a smile of God that at that moment, I knew I am never going to do anything but this. Like, I know his pleasure right now. I, I, I feel like God looking on me and saying, Jim, I made you for this. This is my gifting in you. And, and at that moment, I was convinced. I never have doubted it from that moment to this. I, I've ne- I, I don't know how it always would play out. I never, I just, but it's like, I don't do that. <laughs> like, I want to do that. Like, I, that, I mean, I didn't, whether people like it or don't like it, I, didn't, I want that. I want God's pleasure. I want a sense where he smiles on me and I know what it is to feel his hand, to feel his hand of blessing, to feel his hand of strength, to be that, it's, it's incredible. And that's what he wants for all of us, that he wants to manifest his glory through you, a gift that he's given you that would do that. And I want to tell you, it's worth you knowing. It's worth you knowing. So I bring it back one more time, Ephesians 2.10 you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has worked, which God has worked for us, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I close with this. Workmanship is a really fun word. Poema in the Greek, some of you would recognize it. Sometimes people talk about a poem or a masterpiece. That's probably helpful to some people. It's not really helpful to my brain. Um, what is helpful is it speaks about something that's an intensive, active project. And I want to tell you, God has taken on you, if you're a follower of Jesus. And today, he has not put you on a shelf. He has not given up on you. You are his active, personal project. And he has a plan for you. He has made you for things. He's made you for good works. That he's actually prepared before them, that you should walk in them. That should excite you. That should excite you, and you should be able to say, God, I want that. And I just invite you to that. So you can close your Bibles, notebooks. We'll end there. I just want to give you a moment to pray about it. Maybe, again, you've already figured this out, and you know what this is in your life. Hey, talk to God about that for a moment. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know, and you just want to begin asking Him for it. That would be great. But I circle quickly back around to what we said at the very outset. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, this is not even possible for you. This doesn't even start till you have a relationship with Jesus. So in this quiet moment, maybe that's where you need to begin, recognizing that you long for that. I know for me, it was a big part of my conversion, that wanting to find that life meant something, uh, that there was more than just existing. And God drew me to say that that's what he would draw me to. Maybe that's you this morning. So quiet between you and the Lord, would you talk to him about that? And if you need to talk to us, we'd love to talk to you afterwards and, and pray about that. 
But right now, let's just take a moment and just lay that before God. You take a moment, pray, I'll do the same, and we'll close in worship in just a moment. Father, as for me, I just want to believe you and say that I know that every Christian in this room, you've given them a spiritual gift, a manifold of your glorious grace, not their personality, not their talents, not their experience, you. And you're longing to manifest that in the world. Thank you for those who know that and walk in that. I pray you'd strengthen their hands but I pray right now for those that don't know. I pray that they would not be the one that buries their talent in the ground and does nothing. I pray that where that's been the past, you would forgive, but now we're here. Lord, that you would draw them to figure out who they are and to do that for your honor and your glory. God, for those who don't know, you draw them. We ask for that now as we just lay this before you and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we went a little long. Sorry about that. Hope it's still there. But let's just stand, and we're going to go before God and worship. If you have questions, we're here. We'd love to talk to you about this. And I'm always available to help you walk through these things, longing that you would find what God has for you. I still want to take a moment and just speak a benediction over your life. And I want to just speak the benediction that's found in Hebrews over you and long that God would just bring you into it. Hebrews ends this way. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. May he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.